Welcome to another episode of the In the Limelight podcast. I'm Clarissa Burt, founder of In the Limelight Media, where we enlighten, entertain, and educate our listeners. You are tuned in to HealthWise 360 with Christy Cordingly. Enjoy. Hi, and welcome to this episode of HealthWise 360, a creation of Clarissa Burt, founder of In the Limelight Media. And I am your show host, Christy Cordingly. And you'll be able to see this interview on In the Limelight TV, which is distributed on Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, and a hundred other smart TV apps. The audio version of this interview can be heard wherever you listen to your podcasts. And today I am thrilled to be interviewing Jody Wellman. She was a leading authority on living lives worth living as a speaker and facilitator she helps her clients live squander-free lives while they're lucky enough to still be above ground. While cleverly beginning with the big end in mind, she named her business 4,000 Mondays because it shines a light on the finite number of weeks we have to live like we mean it. Jody holds a Master's of Applied Positive Psychology from the University of Pennsylvania, where she is also an assistant instructor. As a certified coach with over 25 years of corporate leadership experience, she helps executives, teams, and high performers work well and live even better. Welcome to the show, Jody. Oh, thank you for the warm welcome. Excited to be here. <laughs> I'm really excited to have you as well. I love that you energize people into living by talking about death. So tell us, <laughs> it's amazing to me. So what is memento mori? Remembering that we must die, of course, and how can it make our lives better? Yeah. Okay. Happy to expand on it. Yeah. Cause it is a little ironic, right? Like if I'm talking about memento mori, remembering we're going to die, that sounds a little bit like a let's all curl up and like try to go to sleep kind of podcast, but it's not right. This is intended <laughs> to very much be, and fortunately there's research out there that supports this, that mm-hmm. when we do tune in with intention around this idea that, you know, it's like, we, this is not news to anybody that obviously we're all temporary. Uh, But when we really do actively remember that we are going to die, what it does is it jolts us out of the complacent sort of a situation we get ourselves into, right? Because we take our lives for granted. We slip into autopilot. All of a sudden, one day becomes the next and we become these highly functioning zombies, which is normal for most of us to do. I don't mean to be poking at, you know, I I do the same thing. (laughs) But when you stop and recognize the scarcity of the time that we have, that's the very thing that can jolt us back into action and start living with more of a sense of urgency and priority. Mm -hmm. And and you sort of already touched on this. So I wanted to ask, because sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, when you have someone who's high energy and very excited about their message, you start to wonder, were they born that way? And you sort of mentioned that even you fall into complacency. So has this been a natural state for you to live with purpose and energy? Or is this something that you had to personally overcome yourself? Mm, What a good question. You know, it is a kind of combo. So, I mean, topically, I've always had a sort of interest in something morbid, you know, never overly gothic per se growing (laughs) up, but just enough of a, huh, this is bizarre and weird that we all try so hard and work so hard and live, you know, and yet poof, it's going to go away. I mean, that just, of course, it'll never not be absurd to me. Um, So I've always had that sort of fascination that the human condition, right? And, um, and I, the more I've studied it, the more sort of credence it has created around the fact that, okay, this is maybe a little more worth delving into. So that gave me the confidence to look at it. But I, like many people, like many coaches, they'll end up working on the area they need help in. Like I need 
constant reminding to kind of get back on track and live with more vitality and meaning. Like I am a homebody. I'm more of an introvert. I am very interested in lives worth living. That's why I've studied positive psychology now for a living. Mm -hmm. But like I have tendencies that are very, like my default setting is kind of on the couch, uh, <laughs> with which is not really where a lot of life is lived. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like <laughs> Netflix is great, but it's not a real life, you know? And so I am very much uh, my own kind of client, right? Where I'm consistently saying, oh, right, I got to practice what I preach. So I do that all the time. Yeah. Absolutely. There comes a point where you look at your couch, you go, I better start sitting on the other side once in a while. So the patterns match again. Right. So <laughs> it's funny you say it because behind me is a couch. And I could today I thought I'm going to need to flip the couch. Maybe this thing, or how am I going to work this? Cause you're right. I, this is, this is our default setting. <laughs> So funny. Oh my God. Thank you for sharing that so honestly. So what are the best ways to undead our lives? How do we take that back? How do we take the death away and bring joy and life and purpose and meaning and get off the couch? Yes. How do we do it? Okay. So I look at it like uh, there, are, I have a few separate steps, right? So one is the idea of diagnosing the dead zones and it's the old idea like you know, the positive psychology background in me is very much uh, still a proponent of do more of the stuff that lights you off. Like, of course, identify the things that make you feel energized and alive and full of fun and that sense of verve and joie de vivre and do more of it. That's great. But I got to be honest, like, that's great. But sometimes we have to actually pick at the scab to be gross, we have to actually stop and say, where in my life am I feeling like I'm kind of flatlining? What part of my life? It'd be my social life. Um, it could be your work. It's usually work. <laughs> it could be your family, friend. It could be um, your health. It could be the sense of growth. Like, oh, I haven't learned anything lately. I kind of feel like I'm bored, stagnant. So by pinpointing where life feels like it is more than just dormant from COVID, but like an actual dead zone, that can be an area where we're able to say, well, then let's just pinpoint that and pick one thing you can do to brighten it up. So a number one thing is diagnosing the dead zones. And then I would say another key area is to shake things up. And so in all the research I do around vitality and, you know, living a life that feels like we're actually alive, not just on the couch. Um, that comes down to novelty. And it's this idea that it is essential for the experience of feeling like we're getting our money's worth from being alive. Mm -hmm. And it's a bit of, it's a bit rankling for some people because we really do like our routines and our habits. And sometimes the habits can serve us very well until they don't, right? Like until they take over and then we become these autopilot zombies again. And, and um, that's where all of a sudden, when you have that sense that, wait a minute, it's already the 22nd of the month. Like where'd the month go? Oh, there's an indication more than, more than, you know, average that, oh, you might be in too much of a routine and you need to shake it up and do a different uh, route to work or try a different meal or try a different workout or watch a complete, okay, fine. If we're going to be on the couch, then let's at least use that to our advantage. Watch a <laughs> totally different kind of documentary than you normally would just to expose yourself to some new line of thinking, a new experience. So uh, yeah, diagnose the dead zones and shake stuff up where you can. 
Absolutely. I had a great mentor that once used to say, you know, open your head up every once in a while, take your brain out, give it a good shake. And I think that's absolutely true because we just get stuck in these routines and, and all of a sudden we look back and we're like, oh my goodness, that was a lot of time spent in that area. Well, or- exactly. Yeah. You're, you're, I love your mentor's metaphor because I look at it sometimes like a snow globe, you know, mm-hmm. like we have to do the thing and then wherever the particles will land, like it's just, it's, it's, it's just enough of a jostle. And I will say that we underestimate the impact yes. that when we do even do one little thing that's different, right? Like try a totally different restaurant. You know, you drive by, you're always wondering, like, I wonder what, what's that kind of cuisine like? I've never tried, I don't know, Venezuelan cuisine. And you go <laughs> and you try it and all of a sudden you're like, my mind is blown just because on a Thursday night you tried something different. It doesn't need to be that you travel to a far flung corner of the earth or radically change your life. Like these are just subtle little subtle adjustments, which I think is cool because it's all accessible to us. Yeah. I read a book once called the plateau effect and that's exactly what it was. It was about, you need a variable because in some Mm -hmm. way, some shape or form, but they said just what you said, I think we do think it has to be some major thing. Like I need to completely cut off all my hair. I need to travel to the end of the world. I need to, do crazy things um but often it's something small daily something tiny but makes this ripple effect in our lives of joy and like wonder and excitement and leads us to new things oh we're speaking the same language so much (laughs) of what I do in in any of my keynotes or workshops I end with the idea of like what one small thing do you want to do that can then create a ripple effect or Mm -hmm. The snowball effect. I'm very much into the snow and snow globes. Maybe I'm respecting <laughs> that you've got snow on the ground. We've well, been to Canada, right? So. <laughs> right. I get you. Uh, but that, you know, the the impact that seems seemingly innocuous or like, who cares? What's the difference? Wait a minute. No. You know, adding in one small change, like going for a walk around the block before dinner, you know, most nights of the week. If you do that now, it seems like no big deal. But a year from now, your life's actually going to be different for the better, you know? Um, and then you need to change that routine too. But yes. <laughs> uh, little, little things do add up and that creates the life worth living that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And you you talk about a model for living called astonishingly alive. What is that about? Yeah. Well, it's funny, as you say it, I already I already feel the need to put a disclaimer on it. Okay, okay. so let me tell you. <laughs> it's astonishing. I mean, let's be honest. I chose a pretty dr- word right like astonishing the the change of heart (laughs) and I like okay I'm not gonna stop us like I want us to live astonishing lives however like let's I also don't want there to be pressure like the life (laughs) needs to be magnanimous and impressive on the outside because again astonishing is relative to whomever it is and so that's that's my disclaimer Mm -hmm. um but the way I look at this is that um, well-being can be seen across two different constructs. So I look at it like um, there's a way that you can widen your life by adding in vitality. And that is fun stuff, the pleasurable stuff, like traditional happiness. And in the science of well-being, we call it hedonic happiness. And so it's like, mm. it's pure, unadulterated, fizzy, fun, frothy joy. And like, let's do it, right? Like, let's have the tasting menu. Let's try a new drink. Let's plan a fun road trip. Let's do the things like the traditional ways we think about 
participating in life, right? Mm-hmm. Doing the sketch class, going out and trying the, I don't know, the knife throwing class, like all <laughs> the fun things. Okay. Um, that's the widening with vitality. And then the other dimension is deepening our lives with meaning. Mm-hmm. And that in the well-being science world is called eudaimonic well-being. And the point of this is just that this is a little more substantive. So this is more about, do you feel like there's a sense of purpose in what you're up to? Do you feel like you're connected to other human beings and like rich, meaningful connections and, and relationships? And do you feel like, are you giving? Are you um, volunteering? You know, the traditional things that feel a little more weighty. And so when you put all this together, like it immediately makes, you can't stop it, but that's a, these that this access, are quadrants. Yeah. And the goal is in the astonishingly live category is to be anywhere plus on vitality and anywhere plus on meaning. And that, that means, wow, like we're doing it. And it doesn't need to be off the charts. And again, it doesn't need to be for the purpose of social media to show, look at what exotic country I'm in <laughs> and so on. No, no, it could be just something really like, I don't know. Is there an example you even have of like a really great, you know, thing on a weekend that just makes you feel alive. And it could be something really sweet and simple at home, but is there something that stands out to you? Yeah. When I take my dog to the dog park and I get to pet lots of puppies, I mean, that's just something that just makes me feel really happy. It's just being around animals, it's being in the sunshine. Like it's just appreciative of the nature of the fresh air and just the joy of an animal. So, I mean, that's Okay, really quick sidebar because we cannot go here when you're talking about puppies. I just, <laughs> I just uh, tuned back into a webinar by um, Richard Boyatzi. He's a um, a researcher around goal setting and fulfillment and meaning, and he, he cited studies about having an animal to pet mm-hmm. is one of the ways that can calm your parasympathetic, it activates your parasympathetic nervous system. And it allows you to restore and recoup in a world that is just bazonkers. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I love your example, because not only are you petting your own puppy, but you're getting out there with others. And so that sounds like, it sounds like a nice combo of having a little bit of connection and then also just pure fun. Like Mm -hmm. puppies are fun. It is really fun. (laughs) So I, How exactly, you know, I was sort of thinking about when you talk about vitality Mm -hmm. um, and you were talking about sort of those traditional things, the the word dopamine chasing sort of came to mind there. And Mm -hmm. what I like, but you said though, is that it's a balance, but let's start with Mm -hmm. vitality first. And you mentioned a few Mm -hmm. examples, but how do we widen our lives with vitality? And then we'll get into the deepening part. Yeah, great. Back to the idea that it is totally relative and, and that, um, you know, I'm going to contradict myself a little bit by saying that deep down, most of us have an inkling about the stuff we might, that, that we might like that brings us joy. The mm-hmm. contradiction comes where sometimes I'll get um, new clients or teams. If I'm working with, I'll say, okay, take out a piece of paper or I'll have a worksheet. And conveniently there are 30 lines on it. And I'll say, write out 30 things that you like to do that just make you happy. And, but the 25 of them at least have to be really accessible things. So they can't be, you know, Mediterranean cruise or something that, you know, you're not going to be able to just do, you know, by the end of the week. Right. So stuff like going to the dog park, um, browsing through a bookstore or um, playing the violin or working on a scrapbook or coming up with a playlist that reminds me of music from high school or you know, so having that list, number one, it can actually be stressful for a lot of people because they're not in tune with the stuff that might actually bring them joy. 
But when you kind of give yourself a little bit of space to breathe and let the anxiety subside, most people have that instinct of like, what did you like to do when you were a kid? Mm -hmm. What was a hobby you had that maybe you let go dormant? Because as adults, we tend to do that. We just somehow feel like, well, I can't do that anymore. Now I'm responsible and I've got to mow the lawn or shovel the driveway. And so what are the things that give you that sense of excitement? And again, back to novelty. What it, what classes have you been kind of wondering about taking? What what area of life have you been yearning back to the dead zones? Have you been yearning for a little more the that joie de vivre? In? So for some people, it does feel like if it's in the recreation category of life, then maybe it is what is a hobby that you might want to pick up. And it could be something physical. It could be something academic. It could be something musical. It could be something artistic. So that's up to us is to stop and say, what could that be? Or if it is about the social side, a lot of people that I know, because COVID threw us off the tracks, you know, of, of living a connected life, a fun life. So, um, and so a lot of people say, man, I, I really missed having like brunch with my girlfriends once a month, or I used to do a happy hour with my colleagues. And now it's just all work and no play. And so what about the fun that used to be just, again, pure silly joy about getting connected and having a potluck or having a silly dinner where you get together and, um, you know, or you do a fun wine tasting, like to see which bottle is worth 70 bucks, which bottles worth seven bucks, all those little fun, silly things. So Mm -hmm. go back to diagnosing where you feel flat, but also go back to that instinct you have about, I used to love to do X, Y, Z that's a clue to pick that up again. And that will add more vitality and width to life. Mm -hmm. I love that. I thought of another one that is very small and simple for me. If I'm feeling heavy or weight is heavy, life is heavy. Something that really quickly picks me up is my grandmother used to always buy us bubble gum. And then we would have contests as you go blow the biggest bubble. So sometimes if I'm having a heavy day, I go pick up a pack of bubble gum and I sit in my car with my favorite songs and I try and blow bubbles as big as I can. And then I brought back to feeling like a kid again. And then that energy and the sweet memories and it's something so small. It costs no money. It takes no time. And it really refreshes my day. So that might be an example for you. It's so good. You're making me giggle because I got bubblegum on Saturday at the grocery store. And I haven't done that in years, years. And we did it in the car. I made my husband take a piece. I dropped my piece under the chair. He had it under my seat. He had to get it. But it was so, so much fun for the reasons you've said. It resets us in fun, silly ways. So they're actually, you're you're now kind of playing off the research on play. (laughs) Being silly has such phenomenal benefits um, because it does release just this, it's, back to the endorphin or dopamine or just something that's mm-hmm. kind of fun. Um, we need, we need more fun lives typically. And that's, that's really where the widening takes place. My research does show that that's where the dimension where we need and want more tends to be in the widening. Mm-hmm. Most people feel okay about the meaning side of things. And we can go into that more too, if you want yes, how to, how to deepen. Um, but more people are are kind of feeling like, I think I need to have more fun around here. That's where there's more. That's where I think people uh, tend tend to to rest. Is yes. needing a little more fun. 
we can be very good at being very serious and very focused sometimes on goals and objectives, especially for career or achievement focus, but it's that, that loosening up. Yes, for sure. That widening, but there are, might be people there though, that do only chase the fun things and they're sort of left at the end of their life wondering what's the legacy that I've left behind. So let's talk about if you find that maybe that dead zone is purpose or meaning, how do we deepen that area? Yeah, it is such a great question. And and you did just remind me about the theories and research around how as we do age, of course, our needs change, right? So like when we're younger, we're interested in learning and novelty and fun and excitement more than as we age is a little bit more about the richness of the relationships and and back to meaning. So um, so it's just more of a natural evolution, if you will. Mm-hmm. And the ways in which people can uh, can find more of a sense of meaning. Examples could include uh, going back to the dead zones. If it feels like the social side might be lacking, or the, you know the the family side, it's that how to consciously plan your calendar so you devote more time to the people who matter in your life. Because we get swept up. I mean, I, I mean, I do like work, 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 work. And sometimes I whistle while I work, but it at the end of the day, it's, but what's left. And so it means consciously saying, if you have that thing, oh, I really, you know, I really want to go visit my friend in BC. But if you've been saying that now, even pre-COVID, post-COVID, it's like, it's not going to just book itself. You have to actually stop and make the time to do it. And then you go and you have the trip. And you feel so reconnected. And yeah, you're going to have fun too. So you're going to get some widening going on. That's great. But the connection to other people is indisputably one of the heaviest hitters in the well-being world is the connection, the quality of our connections to other people. And so that's typically for many people a category. Um, for many people, they might diagnose the dead zone of spirituality might be really lacking. and they, Or they maybe they've lost touch with their version of their God or their religion or just some source or sense that something's bigger than themselves. And that might need reconnecting, you know, and I work with a lot of people who will identify that and say, you know, I really want to get into meditation so I can become more mindful of that and discover what's possible for me in the spiritual realm. Mm -hmm. And that's time well spent for those folks. Um, For some, it is volunteering for some, it is, you know, for me, I love the idea of I get a charge out of planning a kind of cool random act of kindness. Mm. And I get, I get, cause I get to be creative with it. I put together a little gifty package and then I'll strategize how to somehow have it be random. And then I peek <laughs> and I'm very, uh, I'm the oddball in the park, like waiting for the person to find this thing <laughs> on the park bench. I mean, it's actually quite strange, but um, you know, another component of course, you know, because work is a big part of our lives finding meaning at work where you can. And in the absence of that, because I think we do put a lot of pressure in our society on work has to be the be all and end all for us. Mm -hmm. It has to deliver on all fronts. It needs to be meaningful. It needs to be fun. It needs to be, you know what? It's great if it is, and it can't take away from your life. It can't suck so badly that you never want to go. But Um, if you can't make meaning there, then my recommendation is to just bolster your life around your working hours. So it does feel great. And maybe it's joining a board on a cause that really matters to you. Um, maybe it is again, redefining your purpose. And like, for me, um, I have, I have some purpose around work for sure, but it feels one dimensional if it's just that. And so I have to stop and go, well, wait, another big purpose I have is that I want to be a great daughter to my dad. 
you know, like, so identifying those things and then really stopping going, well, okay, but if I actually, how, what does it mean to be a good daughter? So I have to go visit him. Right. And then you book the trip. So more intention is what we're coming down to really is being more intentional and planning it. Yes. Live a discerning life. Really. is really what it boils down to. Uh, So what do we have to learn from people who have woken up to life? What have you seen from the people and your clients and the people around you that have gone? Yes, I get it now. And I have made this shift and I feel astonishingly alive. What do we learn from them? Yeah. Uh, Several, several lessons is that it is easier than we think to make the shifts. And so again, it doesn't need to be radical life change that intimidates us out of the gates and we won't do it. But if we look and we go, wait a minute, there's a woman I work with who she just started, she identified, she really just finds it joyful to spend time with her orchids. So she started spending more time and she identified, I love it. I feel so at peace when I take my dog for a walk to buy the water. So she started doing more of those two things and it shift her outlook, shifted her outlook on how she saw the life she was living. And I mean, all we're really doing is just living in like five, 15, 20 minute increments of life, these moments that we have. (laughs) So why not rig it? (laughs) You know, so people who learn to rig it are people who are conscious and intentional about what do I want? So if I look at Saturday, what do I want Saturday to look like? I don't want Saturday to just happen to me. How do I do that? And so Clients that I've noticed who do kind of follow this idea about diagnosing and being intentional and planning, they there's no turning back in many ways. So, well, I, I I'm going to be careful with that. They they now that they sort of see the other side, they've woken up to what's possible, and they're feeling like they have more energy, more of that health of spirit or vitality. They're in the astonishingly and I've live category. Um, what? When I said there's no turning back, I mean philosophically, because they realize it feels great to participate in life. And yet, back to what I'm sure was in the book you mentioned about kind of the routine, the plateaus we get into, there is a thing in psychology called the hedonic treadmill, which explains how we adapt to every single thing. Mm -hmm. So all the good stuff we create, the new routines that are kind of fun and energizing and make us feel alive, they're going to get boring. (laughs) Like all the things... That we, uh, even the, uh, the extrinsic things, like you get a brand new car and you think, oh man, I'm so happy. Or you get this, you marry this man of your dreams, or you move to this beautiful place. And it's like, yeah, don't you be thinking that like, that's not gonna, that's not gonna be enduring happiness for you. You <laughs> adapt Just like how fortunately we adapt to the crappy things too. That's good news. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's sort of like the constant editing of our lives. And the constant desire to say, I just got to stay ahead of it and on top of it. You know, I, I, I've created a situation that feels full of vitality and full of enough meaning. Again, some days better than others, for sure. The couch beckons. But how do I make sure that I am staying ahead of it and planning and just calculating enough things to keep just to stay ahead of the curve of being alive? Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask one more question that it wasn't really planned, but I, I, I want to know this because I feel like it has for me, but I don't know if there's research or if you've seen this living an astonishing alive life doesn't mean that challenges don't happen. There's still going to be times of crisis and pain and obstacles, but don't you find that people that are in that quadrant are more resilient in those areas? I'm so glad you're saying this and asking this because (laughs) you're so right that 
Um, just as, you know, it seems a little bit taboo to talk about death as a means to spark life, right? <laughs> uh, the truth is that, yes, the people who have the greatest appreciation for life and the greatest sense of commitment to living their life on fire, they are the ones who have who have faced more adversity, typically. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that meaning is forged through suffering and loss and grief and hardship. And so a really fabulous life that has really, you know, the, if your biggest bummer is that you have a hangnail, well, <laughs> you know what, that doesn't actually spell super great long-term life satisfaction because we do need there's actually a ratio they talk about. It's called the Lasada ratio, where they talk about the best sort of constructed experience of being alive is about three positive moments or interactions or events or situations or comments or conversations to every one negative. Mm-hmm. So that three to one ratio acknowledges that we need storms. We need clouds. <laughs> we need we need we need the stuff that we don't think we need because in in many ways it highlights what is great and it does make us more resilient, provided that we are able to take a mature view and say, you know what, that experience of divorce or of bankruptcy or of not getting the job that I wanted or of this really crappy diagnosis or of the losing the you know why did my friend ghost me or the things that just the crap that happens because we are human. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, there's a poignancy to it that is profoundly important and it does inadvertently add to our m- sense of meaning, which then again, adds up to being astonishingly alive. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. Are there any last thoughts you would like to leave with the listeners? Hmm. Oh, just that it's great chatting with you and oh. that I'm excited that you're willing for us to encourage the groom reaper to play a role in our lives. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. We'll make sure that your, your links to your, I was looking at your Instagram account today. Your branding is so cute. I mean, I've never seen such a cute picture of the Grim Reaper in my life, but it was adorable. And I'm like, oh, you look like, that's so sweet. Anyway, so I, I, I love that you take a concept that is often so scary for a lot of us and you really, you've created purpose with it and you've created more joy and life in people. So congratulations on your work and making such a positive difference in the world. And uh, really excited to see what's next from you. Thank you so much. Enjoy talking with you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of HealthWise 360 here on the In the Limelight Podcast Network, where we enlighten, entertain, and educate our listeners. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe. And don't forget to tell your friends.